Whether you have a general interest in health and wellness, or you are already a medical professional, we're here to provide you with tools and resources to make informed decisions about your health. This is House Call, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. Here, our expert providers will share with you wellness tips, information, and general health advice. Thank you for listening. This is Brianna with HealthU, and I'm here today with Dr. Betsy Varghese, board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine at Hackensack Meridian Health Medical Group. Welcome, doctor. Hi, Brianna. Thank you for having me. Of course. Being that we're in the peak of July and some of the hotter summer months, and you know, some of these activities can be quite food-centric, it can be a little easy to overeat. Would you agree? Yes, I think that we always have an excuse to overeat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So let's consume some facts on overeating for our listeners out there. But before we can kind of dive into overeating, how important and what is the relationship that somebody should have with food? I think that, you know, having a healthy relationship with food is the most important um, factor that helps us not to overeat. Um, And a lot of times I I focus on the quality of the food rather than the quantity of food or even caloric intake. Uh, so, you know, we, we often use food to um, deal with different stressors sometimes or, you know, there's definitely a pleasurable side of, you know, enjoying food with company and things. So it's really understanding the purpose of food in terms of giving us fuel versus um, all the other components of eating that, um can lead to disease or can lead to um, suboptimal habits, things like that. Now, how many calories a day on average should somebody be eating? Okay, so I I kind of, I don't like this question because I think (laughs) that it focuses more on the calories, but I I totally get it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at the end of the day, you have to consider calories, right? Um, And just to kind of give you a roundabout, so it depends on gender, it depends on age, um, it, de- it depends on height, just to name a few. And mm-hmm. these are there are several other factors that go into um, the caloric needs for each individual. So if we were to do it based on age range and gender, so for females between the ages of 19 to 30, I would say anywhere from 2,000 to 2,200 calories a day. Um, their male counterparts up to 2,800 calories a day. Um, as you get older, your caloric needs actually decrease. So uh, females between the ages of 31 to 50 may need you know, up to 2,000 calories a day and their male counterparts 2,600 calories, just an estimate. And then finally, you know, as you get older, above the age of 50, um, some estimates take into account that you know, females may only need ab- about 1,800 calories and their male counterparts anywhere from 2,200 to 2,400 calories. These are just estimates. And you said height, weight, and gender. Now, are there other factors that can influence these calories as well? Sure, sure. You know, the level of physical activity, I think body composition also has a big component. You know, if you're someone who has an increased muscle mass, you're going to have, that's, that's more metabolically active, your energy requirements are going to be higher than someone who has a lower muscle mass. And I think that even underlying medical conditions will alter your caloric needs, whether you have thyroid disease, whether you have a history of cancer or heart failure, those are all, um, those are all um, influencers in your caloric needs. So this is just taking into account just 
an otherwise healthy person without really many medical conditions and moderately active. Now we have a baseline. What, in its simplest form, what is overeating? Okay, so overeating, so it takes about 20 minutes for your stomach to give your brain the signal that, you know, it is full. It has had enough food. And I would say overeating is when you consume calories or food beyond that point. And I like to focus on the mindfulness component of it because a lot of times we think too much in terms of calories, although important. We think of, you know, overeating can also be defined as taking in more calories than your body needs or than is necessary to um, carry out certain bodily functions, right? Um, Your basal metabolic rate and things. But I think if we fine-tune it and change it, um, change the definition in terms of what we consider fullness, then it's very different. And can you overeat within a, uh, some kind of time frame? So can you eat too much within one hour window or is it kind of a baseline for the entire day? I think it can be both. Okay. Like I just think about like the Thanksgiving meal or going to a summer barbecue and it's very easy to overeat during that meal, right? Because you're not giving yourself time for your brain to get that signal saying that you have eaten enough. And so you've probably overconsumed within that short time period. And therefore, um, now you've overeaten. Um, But it can also occur um, just chronically, you know? Like if you're overeating with every meal, that is also overeating, but I think that becomes more like an eating disorder. Can the words binge eating and overeating be used interchangeably? Are there slight differences in the terminology? When I think of binge eating, I often associate it with a disorder. So you have to overeat to be binge eating, but I think that all overeating is not binge eating, if that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. So with binges, you consume food in excess, but oftentimes you're aware of it, and what's associated with binge eating is that um, the shame with overeating, um, the desire to hide this habit, or even the guilt after you've eaten. And I think that that is what is different and um, differentiates binges versus just overeating during you know, a random meal. That clarification definitely makes sense. Okay, good. What... What short-term effects does overeating have on the body? Okay, so one of the big things would be um, heartburn type of symptoms because basically when you eat a lot and your um, your stomach is distended now, usually with that high-fat, high-protein, high-carbohydrate meal that you have, it takes a long time to digest. And so your stomach produces and releases gastric acid to help break down that food. And... What happens when the food is sitting in your stomach as it's being emptied into the small intestine, um, sometimes there's some backflow that goes into the esophagus along with the acid. And that manifests itself with a sour taste in the mouth, um, belching or burping, bloating, um, postprandial fullness. So basically after you're eating, you're feeling very, very, very full. Um, So that is a side effect. And I think that's probably one of the most common side effects experienced. Um, Then there's the highs and lows with the sugar. So if you're having a very high carbohydrate rich meal, um, that's going to break down to glucose in your blood, right? And so you may not experience as much 
of the symptoms for, you know, a little bit of an elevated blood sugar, but you will notice it once the glucose exits out of your bloodstream, right? Crash. And so, yes, you feel that sugar crash. So you had that initial energy and then you feel completely devoid of energy. And the funny thing is, is that when that happens, what do you crave? You crave more carbohydrates to give you that high so again. It's an endless cycle. It's an endless cycle and it's a very addictive um, addictive behavior, you know? So food addiction is real. Yeah, food addiction is definitely real. So when you are overeating, um, so this is a major overload for your digestive system, for sure. So first when you overeat, um, and oftentimes people do overeat a high carbohydrate, high sodium, high fat diet. Very rarely do you see anybody overeat um, foods that are high in fiber. Um, and so it's very different, right? So we're assuming that this is an unhealthy diet that you're overeating because okay. that's what we commonly see. And um, so number one, when you overeat, your stomach distends, right? So there's just the physical component of it. So as your stomach distends, right, it's pushing down on other organs, there's a feeling of discomfort, right? So depending on the type of food that you're eating, which is oftentimes very high in sodium, so sodium, what that's going to lead to, that's salt basically, and it causes us to retain water. And when we retain a lot of water, that's why we see, you can see like day-to-day -day shifts in weight depending on what you've eaten. Mm -hmm. And the retention of water is what causes, you know, swelling maybe in your legs or your arms. It can cause bloating. Um, and, you know, if you're someone who suffers from migraines, it can trigger headaches. So those are all the things that can happen with overeating. Then you can have um, even just fatigue that comes with eating. And that's actually very interesting because... Um, when you overeat, now the nervous system that's really activated, it's the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's more like the rest and digest, like I'm relaxing, you know, in, in versus the sympathetic nervous system, which is more flight and um, fright. So naturally, when you've eaten a big meal, the blood flow is going to go to your gut to help digest that food. And when that happens, blood naturally moves away from the brain and other organs. So what you may experience is a sleepiness, a fogginess. There's also a hormonal component to it, um, which is actually quite complicated. Um, but there's one hormone, cholecystokinin, that is um, produced in your small intestine. And what that does is it has receptors in the brain, which can interact with other hormones that then can make you sleepy or tired. Um, and so that's just being studied from what I can understand. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely my symptoms after Thanksgiving meal. Yes. And some barbecues, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> now, what are some of the long-term effects of chronic overeating? So you talked about drowsiness, fatigue, um, you know, temporary weight gain, mm -hmm. I would assume gassiness as well. What are some of the long-term th uh, things that can happen? Okay. So... With, um, with overeating, I think that the biggest concern um, is the development of insulin resistance, right? Insulin resistance, which then leads to diabetes um, and just the oxidative stress that occurs with consuming um, lots of food that is beyond your body's natural capacity to break it down. So with overeating, and you can see insulin resistance um, with just two weeks of chronically overeating, which wow. is not that long. 
you know. And um, insulin resistance is basically, so your, your, one of the organs in your body is called the pancreas, and it secretes um, a hormone called insulin in response to glucose that it sees in the blood. And so when, when you're taking in a carbohydrate-rich meal and you, know, you have underlying insulin resistance, usually due to having too much stored fat in the liver and the skeletal tissue, then our bodies don't know what to do with the glucose because it's not responding to insulin in the way that it should. So this will can lead to type 2 diabetes. Um, you know, you will also see like hyperlipidemia or high cholesterol related to this. Um, metabolic syndrome, which is also takes into account um, not only changes in blood pressure, but even like more visceral fat. So you'll see a lot of abdominal obesity. Mm. And, you know, this is links for heart disease. Um, it's links for... Um, um, stroke, different things like that. And, you know, with chronic overeating, which leads to obesity, I think it's the end result of the obesity that's the biggest concern. Um, you know, there's, there's been shown to be increases in 17 different types of cancer with obesity. Wow. Yeah, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they project that number to grow. So it's definitely of concern. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think two thirds of the data now is like two thirds of Americans are overweight. So that's just a BMI of greater than 25. And then, yes, one third of Americans are obese. And these numbers are just rising um, and it's being seen in the pediatric population also. Now, can this also impact somebody's sleep schedule? Yes, for sure. Um, it's interesting that you say that because when you overeat and, you know, when it, this leads to obesity, um, now, <clears throat> a lot of times there is fat that can accumulate around the neck, which is why for me, oftentimes I will do, I will check the um, neck circumference of my patients who come to the weight management center mm -hmm. because I want to assess their risk for obstructive sleep apnea. Because what happens is that when your neck um, size has enlarged, you know, and you're lying down, that pushes down on your airway. And so oftentimes we see patients who are at risk for obstructive sleep apnea, they're snoring at night. Um, they wake up with apneic episodes or basically gasping for breath because their, um, the airway has closed for a period of time. That's absolutely frightening. Yes. And so, and actually that's one of the leading causes of undiagnosed high blood pressure. Yeah. Or, or, um, not, not more um, undiagnosed, but um, resistant um, hypertension or high blood pressure. So that clearly leads to sleep dysregulation because uh, patients who have obstructive sleep apnea and they don't know it, they have poor sleep and they never really reach REM sleep, which is that really restful sleep, mm -hmm. right? And so during the daytime, there's a lot of fatigue, um, sleepiness, and so it really impacts your ability to sleep well. In your opinion, what are some of the reasons that individuals would turn to overeating? I'm sure there's some psychological factors that play into it in addition to, you know, genetics. So what yeah. are your thoughts on that? I like to think of everything as a combination of genes and environment. And I think that what we're learning now is that genes are important, but environmental stimuli 
can change gene expression. What I mean by that is, you know, in the same way, some individuals may be more predisposed to abuse alcohol. Um, it's very similar. To the, but when, when you have a family history of eating disorders, you're more likely to have eating disorders, right? Or suffer from that yourself. But environment is very, very important. And so um, what is your relationship with food? And, um, and how, how, do you, how, how do you use food, right? So is food um, used to fuel yourself, you know? Um, why do you turn to those, um, those high-calorie, c- you know, um, high-fat foods? And is it because um, is it because you're is it because you find comfort in it, you know, um, which which is very very common. Like emotional eating is so common. I think to some degree, most people probably I probably emotionally eat. Sometimes. I'm definitely guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, doing that once in a while versus using it as a day to day almost like a, a stress reliever. In the same way, you know, some people may have a glass of wine nightly you know, or a glass of two or wine nightly to relieve stress, you know, eating can kind of take on that same like sequelae, you know. So um, I think that that's what happens. I think that's often how overeating becomes turned into a habit because we use it for, um, we use it for things other than to provide us. We use it as a crutch. Exactly. Yeah. How would you help or guide somebody into a better having a better relationship with food? What are some of the tips that you would give them? How would you walk them through this? I think the first step is helping them to see or recognize what are their triggers to overeating. And that's one of the things that I ask the most, you know, what are your triggers? And um, because if you if you can't admit it to yourself, then it's unlikely to change, right? It's just like when you go to an AA meeting, right? One of the biggest things is, you know, to get yourself there, you have to admit that this is an issue for you, right? And that's okay. Mm-hmm. What oftentimes I do is um, I have them admit that there is, you know, maybe a concern or, you know, help them identify what their trigger is and then go from there. So, you know, a food diary is a great way um, to address what your triggers are and even help you recognize yourself if you're overeating because it puts it down on paper. I have to say, I actually use one. I use an app on my phone. And although I thought it was tedious at first, it's definitely helpful because you don't realize how much throughout the day you're grazing. Yes. And those calories, I know calories aren't everything, but they add up. Yes, totally. I definitely fully support those. Yes, yes. And actually, the studies have shown that Patients who keep a food and fitness log are the most successful with weight loss, you know? So there is a lot that goes into a food diary. And I think that, you know, if patients find it tedious and I can tell sometimes they're like, oh, I don't want to really do a food diary, I say just commit to it for two weeks because, you know, um, knowledge is power, right? When you are, when you don't realize your habits and then you write it down on paper, it becomes very evident to you that, oh, wow, maybe I am overeating or what can I do to um, help change these habits? You know, it puts them, it puts patients in a, um, in control of their habits, right? It definitely does. I yeah. hope I'm part of that statistic where I'm good with my uh-huh. weight loss. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you're doing it, you're doing all the right things, Thank you know. You. <laughs> um, other ways I, I talk to patients is, for me, I am a big believer in meal prepping. And 
I really do believe that it saves time down throughout the week because and you know meal prepping doesn't necessarily mean batch cooking in which you're making like four or five you know different types of meals on the weekends it could just mean cutting and having things ready to just put together that after you come back from work should you be someone who doesn't really like leftovers you know and I think that that's important because how often does overeating come when we're ravenous and we just want to get something really fast and Mm -hmm. oftentimes in those cases cooking does not seem some like desirable at all right you'd rather just get something really fast quick and so and that's usually not the healthier option right so meal prepping is another um is an, another tidbit but if i were to stress anything i think it is the type of foods you eat okay so when we eat a high carbohydrate rich diet um and i'm, I'm talking about not not whole grains, right? Because there's very there's differences in carbs. Not all carbs are bad. Mm-hmm. And I know that we live in a um, society where we, it's just the latest fad. Especially with the keto diet. Everybody's oh, avoiding carbs. Yes. yes. Please don't let, yeah, the keto <laughs> diet, you know. But anyway, that's a whole different discussion. But um, we live in a society that is scared of sugar, like sugar from fruit even, you know. And so when we eat a, a diet that's high in fiber, such as, um, you know, whole grains, um, quinoa, uh, brown rice, um, lentils, beans, chickpeas, lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, you know, naturally what's going to happen is that fiber content is going to keep us fuller and it's going to keep you from overeating. It's like healthy habits, um, they build more healthy habits. Mm-hmm. When you have a diet that is very high in processed sugars, processed carbohydrates, lots of animal protein that are high in saturated fats, lots of oil, what happens is that that um, it doesn't have as much of the fiber. So you eat something that's very high calorie and you're hungry soon after. And that is what leads to the overeating, you know. So definitely a high fiber diet full of whole unprocessed foods and really minimizing, um, to be honest, minimizing animal products. And I know that that's to some degree, it's different for everybody. You have to find what works for you. But going along that trajectory is going to keep you from overeating regardless. And you're not going to be thinking about calories at that time. If somebody needs help, you know, jumping on the ship of this healthy eating habit, who do you recommend that they talk to? Their nutritionist, primary care doctor? Can it be one and the same? Do they kind of work hand in hand? Yeah. I mean, so I, I do believe that going to your primary care doctor is, um, is helpful. That being said, I know that a lot of doctors don't feel comfortable talking about um, nutrition because the amount of nutrition education we get in medical school unfortunately is like nil you know and so patients will come to their doctors expecting um, doctors to be very well aware of how they can be helped to lose weight and doctors may not know but the primary care doctor can provide the resources to get them to who they need to go to like now we see a lot of more doctors who are certified in obesity medicine you know we we come to contact with nutritionists right who who underst- understand the balance, you know, and what's needed 
to help with overeating. So those are all invaluable resources. And now even like there's online resources now, um, you know, through like even through my fitness pal, but you know, a lot of times to you just want to ensure the credibility. Yes, exactly. And to be able to speak with, you know, it's been shown that patients who speak to their primary care doctor um, and are told about, you know, educated about their weight or their need for weight loss, they are more likely to implement a change, right? Because that discussion has been had. And so <clears throat> I think that that also allows for an avenue to kind of follow up in the future. So there's that accountability component too, because how often do we talk about it? And then we kind of put it on the back burner because life happens, right? Yeah. So that's what's important, I think. What are some things that you do for your patients that you may find different that maybe other doctors don't help them do or don't really offer, especially okay. when it comes to overeating? I think what's different um, just from what I'm able to provide from the obesity medicine standpoint is really delving into um, the whys. So, you know, why do you feel like you are cons- um, you're having trouble losing weight or trouble overeating, right? Um, what are your motivators for losing weight, right? Because we always have to have a why. If it doesn't come from within, it's not going to last. I also get into the diet, you know? So on average, um, I generally do a 24-hour dietary recall. So for the past 24 hours, what have you been eating? And I'm specific, you know? So I go through breakfast, snacks, lunch, dinner, nighttime snacks. What, what What do you drink? right? With each of the meals, what you drink between meals? Um, how much water do you take in? How often do you eat out? Do you get um, into particulars such as spices, seasonings, condiments, the oils that you use as well? Yes, yes. So I get, yeah, I get very detailed, you know? Um, so I, I will ask all of those things. And I see, I notice that there's a lot of, a lot of how we cook and eat is very culturally dependent, you know? So, um, so it, it, takes a lot to shift gears. I mean, so I come from a South Asian household, right? Where growing up, it was predominantly rice, right? And so um, that was like the main thing and all the sides that accompany the rice, but rice was usually like the white rice was usually the big, um, was a big part of the meal. And to kind of speak to my family and educate them about shifting over to quinoa and maybe um, decreasing the portions of the white rice, but increasing the vegetables, it was a huge shift, but now, after years, I would say, of working on them, they have shifted, you know? And I think that understanding that all of this takes time. I know also we've talked offline about your social media accounts and you know how you hold your patients accountable through this Instagram. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so, I, so social media is, um, it's a great avenue to keep in touch with people when used the right way, right? And when it doesn't become um, an area of obsession. So I really believe you got, you have to change your practice and the ways you do things with what, you know, what's um, beaming in society, right? And so social media, it would be hard to ignore that, right? It's why we're kind of doing this podcast, right? Yeah. So um, yes, I do have a, um, an Instagram account that I actually created for my weight management patients. And the idea was I wanted to, provide them with answers to commonly um, asked questions or questions that would arise that we may not have the time to discuss or review um, during their visit. 
So even if they have a question, I really encourage them to ask me and then I may do a post about it. Like recently I did a post about how to, um, how to eat healthfully on vacation because I had a patient who was um, actually quite frightened to go on vacation um, and face the buffet since he's been doing so well with his weight loss, mm. you know? So I find that it's very helpful. I certainly don't force all my patients to follow it, but I just, it's something that I offer. It's, it's a nice resource. Yeah, and so, and if, if that's something they're interested in, and that's, I just keep it at that. I just wanted to say this was incredibly helpful. Great. Uh, just talking to you in these, you know, these short 20 minutes, I feel as if I learned so much, and I hope the listeners out there feel the same. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, I, I hope it does help somebody and you know um, I'm always available for more questions you know even through email or whatever it may be so I'd be happy to answer anything yeah thank, thank you, you Brianna and I yeah. look forward to you coming back to talk about under eating the flip side of the spectrum yes yes I'm looking forward to that the material provided through this health you podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician always consult your physician for individual care